1 through 11 today. Uh, well, we're not going to look at all of them today, but we're going to read that section. We're going to focus in on verses 1 through 3, the coming day of the Lord. There's two main sections here, and as Paul is ending this letter, he's bringing it to a head. But what he's doing in chapter 5 is, is I just want to give this to us to sort of help us out a little bit. Chapter 5 is going to give details about the coming day that he's just talked about there in chapter 4. It's going to give more instruction to the believers about how we are to live awaiting that coming day of the Lord. And as well, it's going to be a closing of the letter as he normally does so with uh, you know, asking for prayer and, and, a, and a last charge and a praise to the Lord. But let's read verses 1 through 11 this morning. It says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunk, uh, that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Now this morning, we're going to begin here by jumping in verse number 1. We're going to see that Paul explains that they don't need to know all the details about the future. Already you and I, who how many of y'all this morning like to plan out your week? Right? Keep a calendar, doctors, you know, doctor's visits and to-do lists and all this stuff. First thing I do normally on sunny evenings when I come in or, or Monday mornings is the first thing I'm doing is I'm making my to-do list for the week. I like to be organized. I like to know what's happening. <clears throat> but you know what happens? I love checking off those things and marking them off on my to-do list when I get them done. It brings a sort of satisfaction. But you know what I do as well? It's sort of kind of weird, I guess. When other things get done or pop up that have to get done, these sort of different situations, and of course in a week, we'd never know what's going to happen in a week, let alone a day. I love to write them on there just so I can scratch them out. Anybody else do that? It makes you feel accomplished. I don't know why, but, but uh, I say all that this morning just to simply look. We are an organized people. We like to know the details. I love knowing the details. Matter of fact, I want to know as many details as absolutely possible. I want to know if we're going on a trip somewhere, Cammie is bugged to death by me. She's got the GPS up, and I want to know every possible detail, how long uh, until the exit. Okay, 27 I want to know at these intervals where we're at, so that way I know if I need to pass this tractor trailer or not, or ride behind them, get in the lane, whatever I got to do, right? We love the details of everything. You and I often don't just like to settle for the generic or the broad. We want to know all the minute stuff, even the stuff that doesn't always pertain to us or matter to us, and this is how we get nosy real quick, don't it, right? Now with the Bible here, he has already told us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now here's what we've got to understand. There's reasons that we can know, first of all, that we are in the last days and that the day of the Lord is coming quickly without having to know all the details. We can know that we are in the last days and we can know that that day that he's speaking of is coming quickly. 
for several reasons, right? And we still don't have to know the dates and the time or the hour as the Bible tells us that we won't. And as he tells us here in verse number one, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Now, there's a tremendous amount of biblical prophecy that first of all shows us the reason why this day is approaching quickly, right? I often say this phrase, we're at least one day closer today than we were yesterday. And that's true, and I think that's the way we kind of have to look at it because we never know, one, when our life will be over, and two, we never know when the day of the Lord will come, when this uh, return of the Lord will come. We don't know when the rapture will come. We know that it's simply imminent. It's coming. Now, the when, we don't know. The hows, we know a lot of that. We know the whys and all these things, but we don't know a lot of the, the nitty-gritty details. We don't know the date specifically and the season. We can't tell on... May the 11th or May the 48th or whatever day. You make up a date. We can't say this is the day this is going to happen. We just can't. As a matter of fact, we even know this, don't we? Especially as we get older, we make doctor's appointments and we have it scheduled and we don't even know that that's the actual date. It will necessarily happen because they could call and cancel anytime. Now the biblical prophecy being fulfilled that shows us at least that we can know and discern these times and seasons, at least without knowing all the details, is this. One, Israel's return and reestablishment. We've got to understand that Old Testament, New Testament, all Bible prophecy, it is not centered around the UK. It's not centered around America. It's not centered around D.C., nor is it centered around my life, Ethan. It's centered around the nation of Israel. This is God's chosen people. It has been. God will bring His covenant all the way to completion with them. And we find that their return and reestablishment after World War II and after the atrocities that took place, we find that this was the beginning of showing a lot of things. And since then, in about the past 80 years or so, there has been a steady and speedily increasing in numbers of Bible prophecy being fulfilled. And now this is not some sort of wackadoodle understanding of going, oh, wow, look at all this Bible prophecy. Just read the newspaper and it tells you all about this stuff. But rather what we're finding is that the Bible is truly a living book. It is coming to life because we are constantly seeing new archaeological discoveries in Israel. There are constant things that are showing the Bible to be true and accurate. And the fact that Israel is reestablished as a nation, and as a matter of fact, even though it is still so small, it is still a powerhouse. If you notice, the vast majority of world governing policies are centered around the relationship with Israel. At least they are getting that way. It used to be around America, uh, and then now to some degree, in a large degree even, economically it's centered around China, perhaps even more so than us. But notice, you look, whether it's a communist country, a Middle Eastern country, an African country, a European or an American country, what we find is this. The relationship between that nation and Israel is what seems to matter the most to other nations. This is what we're seeing right now in the world with much of the wars and rumors of wars that is taking place, not just in Islamic areas, but you look with Russia, Ukraine, China, and Taiwan. Many of these things are centered around those who are either allies of Israel or not allies of Israel. And you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? It has a lot to do with everything for the end time days. And so this is what we see from Old Testament. It is pointing to this coming to fruition. Now Israel is established. And we've got to remember, what's the whole point of this taking place? Anyways, what happens after the rapture? 
Well, immediately what's going to be taking place right after the rapture is there's going to be a peace treaty made with Israel, with surrounding nations, because I believe at this point what we're going to have seen already is that Israel is going to have whooped up on those who have come against her. And what's going to take place is that they're going to bring about this false peace, and it's going to be the Antichrist who does so. And notice, it is centered around Israel. This is why we can know some things even without knowing the dates or the time. Second, we can know that we are in the last days and that biblical prophecy is being fulfilled because of the ecumenical and syncretistic movement politically, economically, spiritually. Let me break those words down. They're a couple dollar worth of words. Ecumenical is the idea of uh, bringing like uh, or even uh, separated denominations, groups, and religions together to try to find the commonality. Now, how many of you guys have heard about you know world peace, right? We all want world peace. We all, everyone says that, right? Now, when we think about this, there's some things that have to happen. Let me ask you this today. Do you think a Bible-believing Christian can live at peace with a Quran-living Muslim? No. As a matter of fact, our messages should not be comfortable even in a synagogue. Why? Because Christ is preached. Now, we are spiritually, if you will, at odds with everyone who is against Christ because they are against Christ. Now, in this world as well, we've got to understand that ecumenicism is one on a global scale. Right now, uh, what just happened a few months ago, it was uh, an establishing, and it's been taking place for quite some time, to bring together uh, in a particular, uh, I forget the exact location, but there's a place where we've got, well, where we, they've got uh, Muslim, Jew, and a, a Catholic all there together in one big compound to worship, sharing ideas, gathering together, worshiping together, all having this idea and understanding that they all worship the same God, they just worship Him differently. No, we don't. And we've got to understand that is happening on a global scale. This is happening on a smaller scale as well. There is a biblical understanding and command and, and de desire by God to have biblical separation. Now, let me ask you, could we partner with a denomination that promotes homosexuality? No. Can we partner with a denomination or a group that denies that Jesus is the only way? No. Right? We, we can't do these things. And so what is happening today at an ever-increasing rate is the desire to simply tear down the walls that have divided us to link up arm-in-arm arm with people who are either, one, at best, rank heretics, and two, lost and against Christ. And we've got to see that ecumenicism is happening everywhere, but as well, the syncretism. Syncretism is the idea of the blending of things together. Now, this is what has happened. It happened for thousands of years. still happens today with, with Roman Catholicism. It's what they would do. They would go into a territory. They'd go, well, we'll let you keep some of your stuff, but you're going to meld into some of ours as well, and, and this is how we're going to do it. We find that many of the empires throughout the world have done these things. And as a matter of fact, what we find is that even we hear and we do phrases like America being a melting pot, right? It's pretty syncretistic if we think about it. It is the idea that, well, your faith and my faith, it's not so different after all. And let's just blend them together. If we blend them together, some things just aren't meant to go together. Peanut butter and jelly, does it go together? 
How about mustard on a hot dog? Yes, and if you don't like mustard, I'll pray for you. Mustard is good, all right? How about, uh, let's see here. What, what goes good together? How about pancakes and sauerkraut? Someone might eat that. I don't know, right? How about Spam and peanut butter, maybe? I don't even want to eat those. Uh, I know some people used to do, I think, peanut butter sandwiches and mayonnaise. Some, some people do that. I just can't quite do that, all right? Now, some things just aren't meant to go together. You say, well, what's not meant to go together spiritually? Things that are against the Bible and the Bible. They cannot walk together. They cannot go together. And here's the issue in our last days is we are going to be called every name under the sun. We're going to be called when we take a stand. We're going to be called legalists. Matter of fact, the people who throw around the name legalist anymore don't even know what legalism is. Legalism is describing and commanding uh, not just that people be saved uh, by Christ, but it's through works as well. It's adding works uh, to their salvation. There's not but so much legalism today. However, there's an awful lot of Phariseeism, but we're going to be called legalists, Pharisees, hypocrites, extremists. All these words are being tossed about from the world today, but here's the graver of an issue that tells me that we're living in the last days. It's being tossed around from those who claim to be Christian. Not just about those that they disagree with, but it's being tossed around by those who hold the authority of Scripture. Well, don't be so stringent. Don't be so tight. God is very tight with His doctrine. Matter of fact, there is none tighter, none more stringent with doctrine than God Himself, and we had better be as well. The places that we have given inches, the devil has taken miles, and then when he's taken miles, we've given him a few extra acres on top of that. But this is happening politically, economically, spiritually, and as well we see the rise of sin, scoffing, and reprobate minds. Our culture, not just here in America, but throughout the world, these things are showing us maybe not the date of Christ's return, but it is showing us that we are in some times and seasons that we can at least discern that we are in the last days. Now, Paul starts here in verse 1, and he says clearly, the times of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I run into you. Why? Is it because they don't matter, or is it because they already know? It's because they already know. These believers in, the Thessal- in Thessalonica already know that they're living in the last days. Why do we know that? Because Jesus said it was the last days. Uh, Paul, when he had first came and established the church, had taught these things. And so as we go through this, we can know about times and seasons without knowing dates and hours. As a matter of fact, to us as Christians, we should be able to discern these things about times and seasons. But here's what happens is that we get often focused on wanting to know the details of the times and seasons where we want to know dates and hours of His appearing, We want to be able to pick and find out who the Antichrist is or is not and all these things. And this has been an uproar and a hoopla, especially the past eight to ten years. I had several people several times during COVID ask if the vaccine was a mark of the beast. I had people asking if this president or that president was the Antichrist. I'm going, I don't know. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure not. Here's what we've got to understand. We've got to interpret the Bible through the Bible, not our newspaper. Not through Fox, not through CNN, not through any other news outlet. Not getting the news much anyways. 
the most up-to-date news that there truly is, and it's been said, it's been taught as cliche, but it is the Bible. It is the most relevant, relevant word in our life today. Paul says there's no need to know the times and the seasons. Thomas writes, the times and seasons are well-known words describing the end times from two perspectives. The former focuses on elapsed time and hence a particular date or dates when predictions will be fulfilled. The latter, though including some reference to extent of time, gives more attention to the character or quality of a given period. What signs will accompany the consummating events? The two words together have the same eschatological connotation in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. There in Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus is telling his disciples about these times and seasons because they're at that point, they're going, Lord, is it now that you're going to establish the kingdom? And he says, that's not for you to worry about. If you knew the date that you were going to die, how do you think your life would be? I think so too. We often think that if we knew all the details that we would live a better life. I don't think so. God has given us a great deal of details about things that we ought to know spiritually, and we still fail at that, don't we? If we knew the date that we were going to die, do we really think that we would be more spiritual? I don't think so in one bit. I think we would be so in the flesh, it would, it would, it would be scary. Because we would be so focused. We would love to think that, we're, think that we're spiritual enough that we'd be going, oh, well, I've got this much time, therefore I need to witness, 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 and we know it, but we wouldn't do it. And here's the thing. They know in their day, Jesus could return any moment, any hour for His people, and it changed how they lived. And it ought to do the same for us. We don't need to know the date that Jesus is going to return, nor do we know the date that we're going to die. We simply need to be obedient until that date comes. Because one might come before the other. As a matter of fact, chapter 4 dealt with that. If you've already died, when Christ returns, you'll be resurrected. Meet Him in the air. If you're alive and you haven't died, you'll be translated, snatched up, caught up in the air with Him. So what we find is that whether we die or whether we live, Christ is coming and that must be the focus. The date of your death must not be your focus. The, the length of your life must not be the focus. Even the quality of our life must not be our focus. It must be the glory of God in our day-to-day -day life as we proclaim the Gospel. That is the goal. MacDonald writes, Paul felt no need to write to the Thessalonians about the times and the seasons. For one thing, the saints would not be affected by them. They would be taken to heaven before these epics began. Also, the times and the seasons in the day of the Lord are subjects that are found in the Old Testament. The rapture is a mystery, 1 Corinthians 15.51, never revealed until the time of the apostles. <coughs> so here's the thing. We're going to be ignorant of what Paul says don't be ignorant of if we are ignorant of the Scriptures. If we are not in the Word, we will not have a clue about what is coming. If we're not in the Word, we'll never have a clue about how to live day to day for the glory of God as we await the coming of the Lord, as we await the day of the Lord, as we await the return of the Lord. And what we see clearly here is that these believers had the Word of God to study, to know, to trust, to, to dive into. They as well had Paul's teaching that he had revealed and given to them on his last visit and that the focus must not be waiting for a certain date to pass. This is why many prophecy watchers today and many folks who get so wrapped up on these end times events and things, they focus much more on dates and details that are happening in the news worldwide than the simple fact that God's Word says Christ is coming. What matters more in the end times? The Bible saying Christ is coming or what's going on in China? 
fact that the Bible says Christ is coming? How about the war with Russia? How about the economic collapses and all these things that we see? Those are certainly signs of the times that we ought to be able to discern, my brethren. But nevertheless, the most important thing eschatologically that we must know and understand and must discern and must dive into is the Bible that tells us that Christ is coming. Our focus must not be the details of the coming destruction, but the details of our promised deliverance. Why? You look back at that previous chapter, and what does he talk about so much? I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have already died in the Lord. I want you to rejoice. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Matter of fact, we have hope. We have a confidence, a blessed assurance, or as the rapture is called, that blessed hope of the Lord's return. That's our focus. Now, here's the thing. And I want to encourage each one of us today, this morning. We need to be observant, but not obsessive. Alright? Be observant, not obsessive. I've talked to a lot of Christians and a lot of folks, and, and what happens is you get Christians who get caught up on, on particular doctrines or another. right? And this happens to all of us. We're all guilty of this. We all favor this or that. Uh, we all have these one particular books that we like or chapters that we like or passages that we like to study or themes that we like. And there's a broad, broad range of these things in folks' life. But folks that I've noticed who are obsessive over the end times events and studying prophecy, one, normally misunderstand prophecy, and two, are about the saddest, most miserable living Christians I've ever known. There's no joy. Why? Because of reason number one. They've been so focused on the end times that now everything in the world is frightening to them and they're not actually even living for the Lord. They're just simply scared to death of their own shadow. The coming days ahead, even the difficult days ahead, and even the falling away, these should bring joy to the Christian that Christ is coming and that whether I die or am killed for my faith, or if I live and Christ returns and calls me out of here, I will one day be with the Lord. That is our comfort. It is our conviction that drives us day to day to live for Him. But it is the comfort that allows us to live. And when we study prophecy, if it does not bring you comfort, you're studying it wrong. Now one, you're studying prophecy wrong if you don't study it. Same with every other Bible doctrine. But here's the thing, and here's how we study Bible doctrines wrong in the first place. It's because when we study Bible doctrines or systematic theology, however you want to put it or lay it out, the reason why we study them wrong is because we fail to put Christ in the center of them. When we study the Bible, or prayer, or Christian living, or angelology, demonology, theology proper being the, the attributes of God, or, or eschatology, or uh, the study of sin or the study of salvation or any of these things, the study of the church, the doctrine, any of these things, when we don't view Christ as the center and as the focus, that's where we get led astray. That's where we get off the rails. That's where we get into preferences uh, over a lot of secondary issues. I've got friends that are not pre-tribulational rapture believers. Did you know that? And that's okay. Because they're going to go up anyways. It's not going to stop them from going. <laughs> It'll be all right. We've all got things in our life that we aren't all right on. I'd love to be 100% correct. But I'm not. 99.9 ain't bad. <laughs> no. We all would like to be 100% correct on everything. 
But you know, here's what the Bible has given us. We've got some things that we, I believe, can be correct on, but I'm not going to kill my brother who holds a slightly different view because guess what? One of us might be right, might be wrong, but either way, God's Word remains true. And Christ remains the focus of the Word. Christ remains the center. Not my friend and not me, nor the news for that matter. It must be Christ. So be observant. A Christian should know what's happening in the world around them. We should be observant to the times and the seasons. We should be observant to these things. But when we become obsessive, I can tell you what's going to happen. You will quickly lose your joy. Christian, to lose your joy is to lose your power. It is to lose your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We've got many weak believers today because we have let the joy of the Lord be zapped from us and many Christians have let the joy of the Lord be zapped because we have spent so much time looking outwardly instead of upward. We've spent more time focusing on everything else except for what actually matters in the end times, and that is Christ is coming. Now we must be able to observe these times and these seasons that we live in. But we must not become obsessed. As we get into verse 2 and 3, he says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now here we're going to get into some, some heavy things as he continues to talk about some of the details about the coming day of the Lord that we can at least know. Remember, he's giving us details without giving us dates. That's the key. Those who are looking for dates are looking for the wrong thing. Now, Paul gives the details about that coming day of the Lord and what this will look like. The Thessalonian believers already had an accurate understanding of what the day of the Lord was and what it should look like. You say, how did they know? As we talked about a moment ago, they had the Old Testament. They had what was being written currently. They had Paul's up-to-date teachings about these things. And you and I, unfortunately, live in a day where we have too much information. We can overwhelm ourselves with how much information is able to be accessed. Sometimes we have two things that happen, two, two opposite sides of this coin that lead to inaction for the Lord or a, a lack of motivation for the Lord. One, we have a lack of information. We just don't know what God expects, what He desires. We don't know His will. We don't know His Word. We're just ignorant of it because we haven't been in it. We haven't submitted to His Word. There's that. But then there's this. Too much information. Sometimes we can know so much about something that we don't actually know it anymore. Sometimes we can know so much about things and have uh, all these different tools and resources and books and all this stuff that we fail to simply trust God at His Word. We fail to simply be motivated by the only thing that should motivate us, and that is Christ is coming. Whether I die, whether I live, Christ is coming. And that is our comfort. That is our motivator. It is a culmination, this day of the Lord, of Old Testament prophecies that are to come after the resurrection of the dead in Christ and the rapture of the church. Sorensen puts together what the day of the Lord looks like and sort of helps us to define it. He says that term is referred to directly about 30 times in the Bible. It is mentioned more cryptically as in that day, about another 100 
uh, times. It is also called the day of Christ 12 times and the day of God two times, right? Notice how all it is used so far in the Bible, Old and New Testament alike, is about a future, not here yet, day. And this is why for those who have the uh, eschatological understanding that all these events of Revelation that already took place in 70 A.D., it's a wrong understanding, right? It, It didn't happen. And this is the popular theory, though, by many in the reform groups today who, who want to say that all the events, they're not future events, they already happened historically back in 8070 with the destruction of Jerusalem. That's not right. The day of the Lord has not yet come because in order to take that view in the first place, you've got to ignore much of the Old Testament prophecy or just not take it literal. That's poor understanding of how to interpret the Bible, Right? Perhaps one of the gravest issues of our day is not just a lack of studying the Bible, it's a lack of properly studying the Bible. The average Christian reads their Bible less than 10 minutes a week, and the average Christian would study it a whole lot less than that anyways. We've got to understand this book gives life. It is a living book. It is God's revealing word to us, not just to teach us a bunch of do's and don'ts, but to reveal Himself to us so that we might know Him, trust Him, and live for Him until He comes for us. Sorensen continues, he says, it refers to the day or era when the Lord Jesus Christ takes direct control of events on this earth. Now that does not mean that He's not in control now, but this means direct control in the sense that He will step foot back on this earth. He will rule and reign. He will be the one that no one else will get any rule. The devil will no longer be on a leash or able to go and seek and whom he may devour. That, that day will be over, right? The day of the Lord is synchronous with the 70th week of Daniel. It includes the return of Christ and power and establishment of his millennial kingdom. The new heavens and the new earth on into eternity and the eternal kingdom. It is both a time of wrath and judgment as well as a blessing of his return, rule, and reign. It is summarized in the thought of Jesus Christ taking direct charge and running the program with a rod of iron from that day onward. It is the day of the Lord. We need to understand that that day is coming. McDonald writes, The day of the Lord is the time when Jehovah will publicly intervene in human affairs. It is characterized by judgment on the enemies of Israel and on the apostate portion of the nation of Israel and by deliverance of His people and by establishment of Christ's kingdom of peace and prosperity and glory for Himself. That day is not here yet, but that day is coming. Now, we are living in the last days, but we have not yet come to the day of the Lord. That day will come, and it will come swiftly. As a matter of fact, he talks about this, and we'll get into this as we move on. He talks about its suddenness, right? First uh, Corinthians 15, and the moment of the twinkling of an eye. That's pretty quick. How about even uh, earlier on in chapter 4, we talk about the suddenness of it, how quick everything will be, just like this. Resurrection, rapture, right? How about this? Uh, uh, he says, as a thief in the night. Right? It's going to come unexpectedly. It will come overwhelmingly. It will come so quickly that there will be no second chance, no last-ditch efforts, no Hail Mary, no none of these things. Time will be done. The day of the Lord is where the cross is pointing us to, by the way. It is to reconcile all things unto God by the blood of His cross. The cross is not simply to redeem us it certainly is the work of christ is to redeem us there through his shed blood upon the cross and his death his burial his resurrection but the gospel what is it pointing to it's not just pointing to our salvation as far as being justified but it is our power and strength to be sanctified and it is our promise that one day we'll be glorified now we won't be glorified until the day the lord comes until this time 
happens. We are not yet there yet, are we? Anybody glorified out there this morning? I'm looking for that distinct glow. Anybody with a glorified body yet? Anybody? Anybody take a Tylenol already this morning? Right? <laughs> Anybody wearing eyeglasses or had to put on deodorant? If you brushed your teeth, if you had to wear clothes, that's all of us this morning. We're not yet glorified, are we? No. So what can we know? That day hasn't come. That day is coming. That is our confidence and our hope. That is our comfort of which we comfort one another with. Jesus' death on the cross leads us to the day of consummation. The Gospel is much bigger than just to save us from our sin. It is pointing to what God has had in store and in order from the very foundation of the earth, from the very moment man sinned, that God is looking forward to and the promises are much more than just to save us from sin. It is to bring us to a place where there will be no more curse, where there will be a new heavens and a new earth. As Second Peter tells us in chapter 3 that now we are looking forward and we're longing for that new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. We're looking forward to something that is not here, both physically, literally. We're not looking for anything on this earth except for Christ to return and to make it all better. That's the hope. That's our confidence. That's our blessed assurance. Now this is God's will. This is His plan. This is His purpose that He has been bringing all things in order to fulfill His Word through His work and display His worth forever. The end day, the day of the Lord, it will be the day that the Lord determines and is already determined and that only He knows and that He will bring it to pass swiftly, justly, righteously, and yet lovingly and graciously to all those who have put their trust in Him. And you and I have put our trust in Him. That gives us hope. That gives us assurance. It gives us comfort. It gives us a motivation to live until we either die or are called out of here because we know that nevertheless, whether we die or live, Christ is coming. We will be called out of here. And that God will make all things right. Not only is He going to give you that glorified body one day where you won't have to pop a Tylenol or wear eyeglasses, but there will be no more curse. That's what we long and look forward to. The day where the presence of sin and its power and sway and influence, not just over us, but in the world itself, will be gone. And Christ will rule from a literal throne on a literal earth for literally forever and forever. That's what the Gospel points us to. That's what the Gospel assures us of. That's what the Old and New Testament alike are leading us to. That's what the cross is pointing us upward to. To look for that day. So today, I encourage all of us, before we get any further and as we close today, is this. Let's observe the times that we're in. But let's be motivated because we don't know how long we will be in these times. These times will end and that day of the Lord is coming. May it convict us. and May it comfort us today. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this time. We're grateful that we can look to Your Word, that we can study it. Help us to long and look forward to that day of Your appearing. Help us to live motivated, convicted by, and comforted by the fact that one day we shall see You face to face. Lord, I pray that You would rid us of all distraction, discouragement, and Lord, that today we would worship You and have our hearts prepared to worship You in spirit and in truth, that You'd be honored and glorified in all things. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.